Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, a registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. Social media influencers give poor nutrition and health advice eight times out of nine, and that's according to Glasgow University, who studied self-appointed wellness experts with more than 80,000 followers. Now, with a minefield of supposedly authoritative resources, each providing their own take on nutritional education, it's little wonder that confusion is rising and our health is suffering. This week's Food for Thought sees dietitian Lindy Cohen and I delve into the worst nutrition advice out there to help you sort fact from fiction once and for all. Hello, Lindy. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. I think it's important, the topic we're discussing today, because we want the future generation to get the best possible advice, don't we? And I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm all for everybody starting their own nutrition advice and journey in life, but there's a lot of anecdotal stuff out there, isn't there, that probably isn't the best way to go. Mm. And when it comes to evidence, you know, stories are brilliant, but they don't actually give us the full picture. So often what a lot of, you know, well-intentioned influencers do or diet companies is they cherry pick the information that they want to give us and then they'll tell us a story and 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 what's great about storytelling is it helps us feel like we can relate to it Mm. and this is brilliant for a human connection but from a scientific perspective it means that we're not getting the full picture and so um, one of the things that you know when you are a dietitian in Australia I know I don't know about you guys but you're not actually allowed to use things like people's stories to help paint the picture because it's not exactly scientific. So instead, mm. what we want to be looking at is, is 
proper evidence to go, all right, well, if 100 people did this, what was the actual outcome? As opposed to 100 people did this, one person had a really positive experience and let's highlight that one single person. Oh, I love, I love the way you just explained that. And that's great that um, in Australia that everybody's so clear about that because I do think here um, marketing and stories are really prominent actually. Um, obviously not for a claim on a product or anything like that, but um, they do play a big role in selling, I think, something to everybody else. And a one-size-fits-all approach, Lindy, seems to, I guess it's still being used, isn't it? What, why do you think that is then, if, if the case is that we're all, we're all unique, which is what, what we believe anyway? <laughs> I think as humans, we love, we love rules. It's much easier for me to turn around to you and go, all right, here is a list of foods I want you to eat. Here are some Mm -hmm. rules to follow. Here is a step-by-step guide because life is messy. And, you know, if we were robots, if if you got a perfect night's sleep every night, you were always well-fed, you ran on time, Mm -hmm. life wasn't busy, there was stability, then we can always follow through with this kind of stuff. The reality is, life is kind of crazy and chaotic. And the other reality is we are all bio-individuals. We are all very different, whether that's, you know, from our body shape to um, the gene, our genes. And so I think what marketers of diets do, and they do it so well, is they pull out these one-size-fits-all one approaches. They do a little bit of tweaking to make you feel like it's personalized just for you mm. when really it absolutely isn't. And so what ends up happening is we can diet and try different approaches and always chase, you know, the certain health goal and never, ever get there. You know, I meet so many people who are like, I have tried so many countless diets and programs Um you know, why do I keep failing? And I think we keep failing on these diets because they are this one-size-fits-all approach and also because they're diets and and diets fundamentally don't work. So I think if we want to step away from one-size-fits-all, we need to embrace a messier, more human Mm. kind of approach where we accept that, you know, what works for you isn't going to work for me. So like, for example, if you ate what I eat, you're not going to even look like me, even if you exercise the exact same amount. And that's purely down to things like our genetics. Um, and so yeah. I think we're obsessed with this, you know, day on a plate kind of concept mm. that influencers always talk about. And we think if I just eat like that, then I'm going to look like them. And of course, we know the reality is that's not the case. And that is one of my biggest bugbears, I would say, is this whole what I eat in a day, day on a plate type of approach. Because whilst for probably a small minority, it is very inspiring, it can actually lead into, I guess, a disordered eating type approach or a lot of um, poor negative associations with one's one's own diet compared to what somebody else is eating. I think you hit the nail on the head earlier. You said that human beings are not robots. You know, we need a messy approach, but we tend to want to live from this structure this mapped out plan every single day but that tends to be what gets us into trouble I mean (laughs) we are literally all craving something that quite literally doesn't exist and that's what makes I think our jobs Lindy so difficult because as a health professional when you're working in the world of nutrition which is such a new science anyway in terms of everything that's emerging we don't have a bespoke answer just at the click of a finger do we to give to everybody 
No, in fact, that's what our job is. Our very job is to personalize recommendations for people. Mm-hmm. And when you have something like a day on the plate, it is a curated, perfect, idealized version of what that person eats. It doesn't include the fact that you went to your friend's baby shower on the weekend and, you know, had quite a few of all the food that was going around. It misses the reality of life. And I think this is the big trap we fall into on social media. And one of the things I'm really, I get really, I guess, angry about is that imagine if social media came with a disclaimer that said, Mm -hmm. this image has been, well, firstly, Think of the thousands of photos on my camera reel that didn't make it to social media. Then I've picked the best one. I've now edited it. I've just Mm. put in this super lovely caption and it's not Mm. telling the truth. And this is exactly what day on a plate models do, except for a nutrition perspective. Yeah. And it's quite, it's not quite worrying. It's very worrying. You just said quite rightly the fact that the one out of the thousand images and it's so important that our listeners today just take a just take a step back and just have a look at your Instagram or your Twitter or whatever social media platform you guys are on and just have a think that in reality it is a snapshot and we have to really really echo that and the reason you won't really see a health professional ever doing something like that is because we know the consequences and the false expectations that those sorts of things can place upon people viewing our um our pages and I think superfoods Lindy if we move on to talk about superfoods and we're talking about false promises I mean perhaps that's one of the biggest ones out there really I I can't get over how many products are hailed as pretty super really (laughs) and I'm not sure if any of your listeners understand that superfood is a hundred percent a marketing term that Mm. has no basis in any nutritional science so what I'm saying is at some point a really smart marketer was like, hey, let's put the word super in front of food, make people think that whatever it has this tag is more nutritious, when in fact it's often much more expensive. Um, and and it's, it's these superfoods are these really hard to, these foods that are quite hard to add into your diet. Um, and just for example, we have something like baby spinach or spinach is quite an easy food to include. Tomatoes are a super easy food to include into your diet. And let's compare this with something like goji berry or, uh, you know, a, a fancy powder that has got yeah. the word superfood plastic. An acai powder. <laughs> yeah, acai exactly. Powders, yeah. I see claim, you know, it was, it was, I think it was cacao and it said, um, you know, 100 grams of cacao powder has far more, you know, iron or protein. It just made some kind of crazy claim um, than, than meat. Or, and I was just like, yeah, but imagine eating 100 grams of cacao powder compared to 100 grams of meat. It's not even the same thing. And so we've got to be careful how we're being manipulated. And just anyone who uses the word superfood, I'd just be a little bit cautious of them because no respectable healthcare professional is throwing that term around because it has absolutely no nutritional basis yeah and and the nutritional basis is everything which I think you opened this podcast with really nicely the fact that we have to have things grounded in evidence and I, I also don't like the way that it pedestals certain foods to be superior to others whereas actually all foods have a place in a healthy relationship with food because 
this can spiral, I think, for some people into the fact that I think orthorexia or more obviously more serious um, states of eating. And it can really make these foods seem like the only option out there that should be consumed. And it's all very clever marketing, isn't it? It is. And I think some really interesting research that we need to focus on is when it comes to gut health, I think we have this obsession that probiotics are really important and they are, don't get me wrong, super important. (laughs) But actually when it comes to gut health, the thing that's fundamentally the most important is plant-based diversity. So Mm. this idea that some foods are better for you than others makes us think that we should eat more of them and those are the foods we should focus on. So instead of changing up our diet, we end up eating only berries or only salmon, when in fact, the most nutritious thing, the best thing we can do for our gut health and all those overarching uh, benefits that are going to come from it is getting diversity. And so this means not fearing foods like, you know, um, certain fruits because we think they're high in sugar, but actually changing with them and eating them throughout the season. And then when it's a new season, we change up what we're eating. Um, You know, I often get asked the question, you know, which is the healthiest you know, muesli, for example, Mm. breakfast cereal. Mm. And ideally we're changing up the kind of breakfast cereal that we're having. So we're not just eating the exact same thing every single day. So you can have a superfood smoothie and it could be loaded with all these, you know, fancy ingredients. But if you eat that every single day, at some point you're missing out on diversity. You're missing out on all the nutritional, wonderful things that could be happening if you're eating more seasonably, more flexibly, without superfoods in mind. Oh, it's so refreshing to have you on the podcast, Lindy. <laughs> it's a delight to be here. <laughs> Honestly, um, oh, music to my ears. That is completely true. And also, it's the fact that I think people obviously want a miracle as well sometimes, especially if you discuss something like fruit or which fruit is the lowest sugar. But you've you've mentioned quite rightly that seasonal foods are quite a important thing to focus on and actually we've definitely lost touch of that in the UK I mean we we're very lucky that we have so much um, produce that's imported and obviously weather dependent but we also have a lot of wonderful seasonal produce that I don't think we're aware of because we just we don't get the education here Lindy in schools it's definitely not something that the younger generation are educated upon and a lot needs to change because before we know it, foods are going to be seen as bad and, well, they already are, aren't they, really? And some foods are seen as good. Uh, what is it like over in Australia? Well, one of the things that we do in supermarkets is it always has a country of origin um, when mm. we have produce. So is it the same yeah. for you guys? Yeah, we have the country of origin, but I don't really think anybody knows to look for that really on the pack. It's quite discreet. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of nutrition education, though, Um, kids don't really receive any in Australia, sadly. Mm. Um, And there are some really cool programs trying to get kids into vegetable gardening, which is to understand where the food is coming from. But we've gotten so far away from that. And I think one of the things that we need to realise is that, you know, our parents' generation, they really, (laughs) the food supply for them is really about mass production and as their kids, we are the ones who are kind of picking that up. And I think we're going to part, what we do is we pass down our relationship of food from our, our parents, pass it down to us. We're going to pass it down to our kids. So I think one of the best things we can do is have a really healthy relationship with food ourselves. And so what this means is we're not referring to certain foods as good or bad. We're rather just saying that there is time and a place for all foods. And naturally, when we let go of these judgments around food, 
we don't end up eating chocolate for every single meal because it's a bit like when you come back from holiday and you have eaten whatever you've wanted and you genuinely crave salads and fresh foods and, you know, all the yummy produce. Um, you just can't wait for a cooked meal. It's a bit like this when we let go of these labels of good or bad and we just feel more relaxed around food. What we find is that our body does crave healthier foods that make us feel good. So when we teach kids about food, what we want to be doing is not referring to foods as bad, as fattening, as we mm. shouldn't be eating too much of this. In fact, we shouldn't ideally be using the words like treat either. Mm. Um, what we can be moving towards is talking about all these different foods that we can eat and how they give us energy. Um, and I think the best thing, if, if you're wanting to raise a healthy kid, the best thing to do is work on your own relationship with food, the way you talk about food, your food language, the way you talk about your body and how it really, really matters. Um, yeah. There was some really interesting research that found that 66% of teenagers whose parents comment on their weight were and went on to becoming overweight or obese. And these mm. are normal weighted kids before. Mm. Um, and there was a control group as well. So I think that's really interesting that you know, if we do have this temptation to try and help our kids be healthy, the best way to do it is not to focus on weight or good or bad foods, but to really focus on our own relationship with food. Exactly. The language that we use. And again, that comes from education, I think, and knowing that. Because obviously you and I are quite lucky that we have this access to this knowledge we know that that's how we'll raise our children and hopefully help them for it but I know that a lot of people out there probably don't know because it's so ingrained I think in our societal norms to comment on people's shape and size which mm. is not a nice thing at all actually it's something that people don't really realize would definitely impact a relationship with food of, of a young person growing up and how they see I call it your food world like you said how you see the I don't know, every Friday night is treat night or every Sunday is the norm in your family where you um, we have roast dinners and we celebrate over here food on that particular day. There's a lot of subliminal messaging and language used that is not always brought to the forefront. So if you ever notice yourself to our listeners, um, maybe speaking to yourself with your internal dialect a little bit um, when you face food, in a negative fashion, try and remodel it. And that's takes a lot of work. I'm making it sound like it's an easy overnight uh, switch. It's not, it, it does take a lot of time, but it's definitely, definitely worth doing and something that can be worked on because before you know it, you'll get given diet plans online, left, right and center. And they're, they're just not the way to go, are they, Lindy? These <laughs> online strict things. <laughs> You're spot on. And I will just add that sometimes we think um, that, you know, the only one who comments on, on their weight are, you know, parents to little kids. But still to this day, you might be an adult and you might have someone in your life mm. who feels like it's their job to still comment on your weight or how much you're eating. It might be a mum, a dad, an auntie or a partner, someone who asks the question like, should you really be eating that? And mm. as long as we have other people who are – it, you know, getting in the way of our ability to simply listen to our body, to not judge what we're eating. It remains tricky to eat healthily and intuitively. So, you know, the same applies for you. Think about it. If you do have anyone in your life who, who 
does talk to you about food this way, then ideally we're having a better conversation with them and saying, I know you're really well-intentioned when you make these comments, but Mm. it actually doesn't help me. It makes me feel like um, I'm messing up. It makes healthy eating even harder for me. And I'd really appreciate if you stopped because this is actually a really big one and really common. Yeah, no, exactly. It's a very sensitive subject and should be dealt with in that way as well. And I think it just takes Mm. that little conversation sometimes because often someone may not be aware that they're even even doing it in the first place. And that's when I think problems can come into place. Like we said earlier, diet plans are not the way to go. And if you're looking for nutrition support, I mean, who would you advise, Lindy, people to turn to if they're looking for any help with, with their nutrition? I would be going to someone who has a university qualified degree in nutrition. Mm. Um, I would recommend that you go and see a dietitian. Mm. Um, in Australia, we call it an accredited practicing dietitian. Okay. Um, what, we have registered dietitians and nutritionists here. That's it. Just registered, it seems to be the word. So that's interesting. Yes. Yeah, so ha- have a look. Look for an RD. Um, or an APD if you happen to be in Australia. Um, and, and when you do look for this person, you want to look for someone who's also got a specialty within a certain area. So what are they really good at? So sometimes, you know, you can find someone and they, they, they've, they're good at lots of different things. But if you're struggling with a particular issue like a gut health, for example, or an eating disorder, you want to be looking for that person who, A, has that quali- quality um, qualification and then you also want to be looking at well, what is the area that they're most passionate about? Because when you have a practitioner who is deeply passionate about a topic, it becomes everything to them. And it's they, they, they research it in their spare time in addition to the work that they do. Um, and I think, you know, once you go into one area of nutrition, there is so much to know. And so you can't possibly be good at helping someone who's, you know, if you need help with their blood glucose control control or someone who has an eating disorder and then someone you you really are looking for that person who has specialized support to help you make it happen where we're not looking for nutrition advice Mm. and unfortunately where most people are getting it from uh, is Facebook and social media and it's not even Google Um, it really is that social media site where you're listening to a person's anecdotal story about how this one superfood changed their life, how you have to cut out a million different foods to get healthy. And I want any time you hear someone giving you a promise that sounds too good to be true, that includes cutting out whole food groups, that sounds like something that you can't maintain for the rest of your life. And it really has to be the rest of your life. I would love some alarm bells to go off in your brain Mm -hmm. going, you know what? I'm sure I could stick to this for a week, for a couple of weeks, maybe a month or a year. But ultimately, this advice is a bit too extreme and I won't be able to live on on this for the rest of my life. Exactly. All or nothing approaches, Lindy. They're just, they're really not the way forward. And they often come from, as you said, anecdotal stories. And another big one is from fitness plans. I think there's been a a big surge of... um, weight loss fitness plans we're at a very interesting place here where we're in a second lockdown as record when we're recording Mm. this podcast and it's a very all or nothing approach where people seem to be going full speed with home workouts restrictive diets I'm seeing them everywhere and then the other end of the spectrum at all wanting to do absolutely nothing I feel like we have lost sight of sensible middle ground advice because perhaps we're just singing from a boring hymn sheet (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Maybe. and you know, 
I think what is sold to us online is this idea of perfect eating, of mm. perfect looking people. So we, when we open a, even a fitness magazine, um, we scroll through our feed, the idea we see of health is really this very perfect looking healthy person. They're, you know, you know, the so-called perfect body. And the diet we see that person eating is a very scripted, perfect looking diet. And so what we think is to be healthy, we have to do this extreme all or nothing kind of approach. And unfortunately, as I said, for normal people like us who don't have personal chefs or personal nutritionists mm. and, you know, a PT who comes to our house and all those things and someone who does the grocery shopping and someone who minds the kids, we are humans <laughs> yeah. trying to make it work. And so we can't expect nutrition perfection from ourselves. And sometimes nutrition, what it does is it says something like, okay, well, salad dressing, for example, has sugar in it. And so you should be mindful of how much sugar, how much salad dressing you have. And that's a perfect example of this idea of perfect eating. So what I would say to that is salad dressing, yes, it has a bit of sugar in it, but it's the very thing that makes you actually want to eat a salad. Mm -hmm. And so if by adding in a few more calories, a few more grams of sugar, you are going to eat way more vegetables and enjoy it and be consistent with it, then that is the biggest nutrition win. Exactly. And I will go further and say, you know, if this means that we're going for uh, a sushi, sushi with white rice instead of brown, but we're not having a burger, that's awesome. Yes, mm. it's maybe not like a perfect looking Instagrammable <laughs> salad bowl, but this is definitely a much healthier option. And I think when we expect that we're always going to have to eat perfectly in order to be healthy, we really fall off track. When we get into the mindset that, well, I overate on the weekend, therefore I've, I've messed it all up, I have to start again from scratch. When we have that mindset, then I think we get into dangerous territory. And so one of the things I'm always talking about is letting go of the guilt that you feel around yeah. food, letting go of the food rules so that we're not getting stuck in this, this mental game with ourselves where we beat ourselves up for things that we really don't need to beat ourselves up for. Yeah, it's completely reversing the dialogue. And as you said, being actually quite thankful and rewarding yourself in a way for saying, hey, I, I made a great choice and that's totally okay. It's when it becomes a vicious cycle that it becomes really, um, really dangerous, actually. And exactly. I think a lot of people measure health by numbers, unfortunately, Lindy. I mean, we see it all the time in our, our line of work and our practice, weigh, weighing yourself religiously, Perhaps you've eaten a lot one night, you weigh the next morning, and then that dictates the choices that someone may make that day ahead. It's just not the way to go. Numbers are not going to be the defining factor of health, just as eating brown rice over white every single day is not going to be the defining factor of health. It's mm. it's so much more complex. It's really such a big subject to cover. Um, and in terms of uh, these things that are being marketed at people I think a lot of allergy and intolerance tests are also now thrown into the mix They're, they seem to be everywhere don't they Lindy I don't know where these are <laughs> propping up from I know I mean it's definitely not something that um as a dietitian I would be handing out to people no. willy-nilly firstly to go on a restrictive allergy protocol something like FODMAPS which mm. is super restrictive you do definitely want someone to be guiding you through it but what I'm seeing a lot of is um, everyone talking about it and they're just cutting out all these food groups without 
proper support and without fully understanding what they're doing. And I actually have no idea where all these, you know, fanciful non-scientific allergy tests are propping up from. But what I do know is they cost a fortune and Mm. any bet you're going to be given a very extreme diet. And then you're also going to be given a very large number of supplements that you're recommended to take that cost a fortune and aren't even necessary. Um, And uh, personally, I think it's dangerous and I don't think we've actually got any way of controlling it at the moment. I know we don't in Australia. I don't know about you guys. No, it's the the regulating... um and what we market and what we put out there and the rules and regulations are just not up to scratch and it's something that's actually constantly being campaigned for by health professionals like ourselves um because i think it this is actually dangerous um and we just don't have the data to get these things out there really yet if this is an example i always use in the uk is it if we had accurate allergy and tolerance tests available to every single person in the uk it would be there on the nhs if it were that simple but at the moment an elimination process with a registered dietitian like we do in the nutrition clinic we have two wonderful gut health dietitians and that that, that takes time because you could end up excluding so much and not reintroducing it it's quite worrying and the impact that even embarking upon those sorts of tests can have on your mental health I think your mental state when you get a bit of paper Lindy that can say I had one client that said she was allergic to some random things like goat horse which she's never touched in her life um then other plant plant items that were a bit peculiar it kind of listed so many factors she just felt completely overwhelmed and shocked by the results that came back and of course you and I would know that it's not really 100% accurate. Yes and let's not underestimate how important mental health is in influencing Mm. your gut and your gut symptoms and when we get really worked up around food when we have food anxieties it can ironically cause the symptoms that we are fearing and it becomes more distressing because the more anxious we feel, the more symptoms we get and it self-perpetuates. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. A lot can happen in 3 years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, I, I do think that health is ultimately, if you think of it a bit like a pendulum swinging from side to side, what we often end up doing is we do take it to extremes. So for example, let's say you had a weekend where you ate too much, more than you wanted, and you don't feel great. So you get to Monday morning and you go, right, 
it's time to be good. It's time to to undo all the bad I've did. I have to be extra good today to try and make up for all the food I ate on the weekend. So what we mm. do is we do things like we weigh ourselves. Mm. We become obsessed with the number. And then that day, we try to not eat too much. We try to be good. And what ends up inevitably happening is maybe by lunch or by afternoon, by the time you get home from work or school, you come home and you feel not only ravenous, but emotionally deprived. And maybe you end up eating the whole pantry then, or maybe it takes you a week and you get to the weekend again and you feel so deprived. You just go, ah, oh, finally, I, I can finally eat these foods again. We overeat on the weekend again. Monday morning comes and we're right back to where we started. And I think what we what ends up happening is the more this cycle repeats, the more extreme we go. So we get to the next weekend and because we ate even more this weekend, we have to be more extreme to ourselves. And all it does is it aggravates us. We get deeper into this, this bad place with food. And so I think when it comes to, you know, all or nothing or, or you, know, you know, trying these extreme approaches like cutting out all these foods for allergies, I think what we need to do rather than going more extreme is just to like hold on for a moment and go, all right, what little changes can I make to make myself feel better? And it really is as simple as doing one small change. You know, for someone, um, you know, it might be something like cutting out garlic and onion, for example, Mm. or it could be something as simple as um, going to bed an hour earlier so that we're not, (laughs) you know, hormonally um, imbalance as a result of that. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely not overhauling the diet. It's definitely not cutting out a whole bunch of foods um, or weighing yourself even. No, no, it, it's so much more, as you said, quite rightly. And I think another trend that I want to pick up on on this episode is detoxing and fasting, which is fasting in particular, if we, we touch on that first, I think can be very mm. confusing for people with a lot of media headlines. Mm. So the reason there is a lot of headline a lot of headlines around it is because there is some research to suggest that intermittent fasting is healthy for you now the fundamental problem is is once again we we aren't robots and so for some for very few number of people they will be happy to fast intermittently for the rest of their lives and people who are willing to do that who can do that Um, I don't know anyone who can do that, Uh, good for them. But the majority of us are not going to want to do that. And so any benefits we do get are going to be very short-lived. And I think this is fundamentally the question we always need to come back to. When we hear of a new diet that has these really kind of fanciful claims, always ask yourself, okay, could I, with my lifestyle, maintain that for the rest of my life? And I'm not Mm. talking about a month or a year, genuinely the rest of your life? And if the answer is no, then any health benefits that you get, including any weight loss that you get, are going to be short-term. And statistically, what we know is when people do go on diets like this, they're going to regain more weight than they did when they first started. So that's the kind of the thing about intermittent fasting. That's why you hear a lot of people, you know, saying it's so good for you. Yes, Yes, everything could be good for you if it's maintainable, but fundamentally, it's probably not maintainable. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And then detoxing, I think a lot of people know the message, well, your liver does do that. But still, there seems to be a drive for um, cleanse-related packages, I think, out there. What are your thoughts on that, Lindy? Well, I think as humans, we like the idea that 
if I overeat on the weekend, then this product is going to help me undo mm. some of the bad that mm. I did and make me feel better about myself. Even though there is absolutely no claims to support detoxes as an effective form of, of get, helping yourself get healthy. As you said, your liver and your kidneys, your skin, your lungs, these, these organs, their very job is to help you get rid of so-called toxins. Um, and rather than you know, resorting to detoxing, what I'd love to see is that we're actually you know, making these small changes so that we never need to, we never have the feeling where we need to detox in the first place. We're simply living a more consistent and healthy life. Um, and I will just really call out these tea toxes, the mm. ones that are basically just laxative teas that make you uh, sick, really. Um, you lose water weight, you become dehydrated um, and ultimately regain the weight. But now because you have swung that health pendulum further into extremes, you're more likely to overeat as a result because you feel so restricted. So the detoxes, the cleansers, even the ones like juice cleansers, I would never recommend it to anyone. No, thank you very, very much. So eloquently explaining that, actually, I think it's one of those ones, it's very easy to go down a rabbit hole because it's incredibly frustrating, but we can completely see, and I think you explained that well, why they are popular, why people may turn to them, why, why the temptation as a human being is there. And that does lead me on to questions from our listeners to, for you today. There were so many. I'm just trying to pick out the ones I think we haven't already covered um, in this episode, I think. Mia, Mia, let's start with Mia. Mia has said, my friend takes multivitamins to help with the losing weight, but are they really worth the money? Mm, okay. In the industry, we tend to refer to any supplements really as expensive urine um, because if you are eating a nutritious diet, then you know, any any supplement that you're taking is ideally going to be excreted through your body. And there are some that you can have far too much of, but generally your body will go, mm, I don't really need that. And then you just weird out. Um, now, in terms of multivitamin to help you lose weight, there's no evidence to suggest that as a, as a strategy of any value. Um, I will say if it makes you feel really good, there's always a nice placebo effect that could be had. Mm. Um, what I would recommend you do instead is go and see a registered dietitian yeah. and go get blood work done from your GP. And like, if you feel like there are some things that could, you know, get some tweaking, then get it done. Um, you know, young women often can be low in things like iron and, mm. and there are some really interesting nutrients that you can explore. So rather than just doing a, you know, it's very much a one size fits all kind of, I'll just pop a multivitamin. Mm -hmm. um, it's not really going to fix much. No, very, very nicely answered there. And we have for our listeners, if you are really interested, we have a whole um, podcast episode on supplements because it was such a mighty big um, topic to cover. Now, Emma has asked, how much water should we be drinking and does coffee count? And we haven't actually touched on caffeine, have we, Lindy? No, we haven't. And it's a really good question. Mm. So um, coffee is a diuretic, meaning that you, it's going to mean you excrete more liquid and become dehydrate, more dehydrated as a result. Um, and so coffee does not count. How much water you need to drink very much depends on yourself, um, the weather, um, your activity levels. And so, yes, we have general recommendations for about two liters a day. But actually a very good indicator of if your hydration level can be your, the color of your wee. So if it is light colored, you're probably going to be 
aiming for light colored. If it's dark, if it's got a smell that's quite distinctive, that's a little clue to yourself that it's time to drink a little bit more. And just like that, we have so many ways that our body is always trying to communicate with us to tell us how to look after it. And what Mm. we often do is we end up getting caught up in all the nutrition noise or the so-called experts. And what we really need to be doing is learning how to read the cues and signs from our own body to go, okay, pee's a little dark. Maybe I need to drink a little bit more water. Um, I would just quickly with with the coffee thing, if you are having coffee, just know that Coffee can prevent you from absorbing some nutrients, so things like calcium, especially young women need a lot of calcium. Young people in general need a lot of calcium. Um, And so uh, sometimes people have coffee and then they'll eat it, they'll drink it with their meals and it means you don't absorb some nutrients. So um, I would have your coffee separate from your other meals. I would have, you know, maybe add in a glass of milk as well to get the calcium as well, which is also a form of hydration. Yeah, no, very, very good advice there and important advice as well, I think. Um, Some good tips that all our listeners can be taking on board there. Now, we've got one question here about um, working from home, which I think is relevant for a lot of people now. Their lives may have changed after COVID. Um, Rosie has said, working from home means I'm always at the biscuit tin. How can I up my willpower? Interestingly (laughs) phrased. (laughs) Uh, It's, I mean, you've picked up on it. I Mm. I think we should we shouldn't rely on willpower. Mm. Um, willpower is flimsy. It's like a fair weathered friend, you know. Provided that we are well slept and well nourished and you know unstressed, which all the time, we are going to be able to rely on willpower. But as I've said, the truth is that we are humans. Life is stressful, and so willpower is absolutely the worst resource to be pulling on. Um, if you do have a, a biscuit tin at home. Um, there's some simple things we can do, like we can pop it in the cupboard, we can change the place um, of where we keep it. And also you might be going, all right, well, if I don't feel good having these biscuits and maybe I don't want to keep them in the house at the moment if I am um, always at home and see if that's maybe an option for you. Maybe you could try some other options to have in the afternoon as well. Um, Although I'm not a fan of cutting things out completely, it doesn't mean you can't have biscuits. But uh, humans are very much monkey see, monkey do. Um, and so if we always have that habit of seeing the biscuit tin, uh, especially in the afternoon, we, we probably will end up going for it. And we've got that lovely little ritual and habit that we do have. Um, and I will say, if you want to have the ritual of, of having biscuits with your tea or coffee, that's brilliant. But do it mindfully and appreciate it. I think so often what we do is we use food as a numbing agent um, we turn on the telly, we sit down to have a meal or, mm. you know, a snack and we're completely disconnected from our food. Mm. And so what we end up doing is wiring ourselves that every, t- every time we turn on the telly, we now feel like eating and we create these associations. So when we do eat, there is really an important thing about sitting down, really enjoying it and giving yourself full permission when you do eat it. Instead of going, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that biscuit, going, hmm, that was really great. I'm really glad I did yeah. that. And move on with your life. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people do acknowledge that. And again, I think that's a skill that can be learned and one that can be practiced upon because it's, again, not something we're taught really. And I think the conversation around how we see and, and use food is one that needs to be evolved a, further in order to um change all of our relationships with food and how we eat and how we mindfully eat but I could honestly talk forever to you about this Lindy but we do have a fact or fiction round I'm dying to do with you are you ready for this let's do it 
Okay, so if you could answer fact or fiction to the following questions. Fresh food is always more nutritious. Uh, fiction. <laughs> okay. Post-workout protein is a must. Uh, depends who you are, but, but probably not essential. Good answer. None of us need to detox. Uh, fact. <laughs> <laughs> no ready meal is actually nutritious. Uh, fiction. Yeah, love that one. Low fat is the healthier option. False. Whichever percentage of fat makes your body feel good is the right one to go for. Oh, love it. Um, avoid adding salt to food. Um, <laughs> if you're cooking healthy food <laughs> and then adding a bit of salt is going to make you really enjoy it, then I think there's a place for that. So I'm going to say that or fiction. <laughs> so graceful. Going gluten-free avoids bloating. Uh, fiction. Some foods really do boost your metabolism. Mm, unless you have an insane amount of them. Um, so fiction. <laughs> yeah. Small and slow, steady weight loss will have the best long-term result. Uh, this, is, this is fact. Whole grain pasta is better for you than white pasta. Marginally. Fact. <laughs> well, Lindy, that was brilliant. I was chuckling the whole way through that because I love as a health professional how it's just so hard to do a fact or fiction round. It's so hard because, you know, nutrition's not cut, you no. know, black and white. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that's what I think, that's what Food for Thought is all about. We dissect everything, we discuss it, and hopefully everyone's going to go away with a little bit of a laugh and also some really good information. Um <laughs> surrounding nutrition and the fact that you're heavily pregnant and you did that so sharply I'm very very impressed <laughs> thank you thank you I think you're smashing it I don't think I was in quite the same state when I was at your stage right now so well done that does nearly wrap up the episode and we always finish uh, with a food for thought so mine today Lindy would be that as we've discussed I think there needs to be a bigger conversation surrounding the honesty in the world of nutrition, the fact that we don't have the answers for everything and that nothing is clean cut and black or white like our fact or fiction round presented to itself. It's, I mean, I suppose being honest about what you know and what you don't know um, online because I think it's irresponsible to people from all ages and backgrounds listening that, um, you know, social media has such a big platform and I think if people aren't honest we can really deceive people and we can have a detrimental impact on health there, there was actually um a study it reminds me on Instagram that um Instagram was recently ranked as having the most detrimental effect on people's mental health young people's mental health and that was according to the Royal Society for Public Health and that is scary we really really need understand. to yeah it, it it's just awful and I think we need more people like yourself and hopefully this podcast to get out there and dissect it all but Lindy if you could leave our listeners today with a take-home message from everything we've discussed today <laughs> what would that be oh I love your food for thought and Thank I'll just you. I'll build on that yeah I think when we see stuff on social media it does get us into thinking we have to go to extreme measures we want the body like that person has so we see um, and so what we do is we get ourselves into this idea we have to eat perfectly we have to do things that feel hard the real secret to nutrition to healthy eating to being consistent to exercising is that it has to be enjoyable 
if it's not enjoyable, if you're eating sad, boring salads, there's no way you're going to maintain that. If you're doing exercise that feels like punishment, it's always going to feel like a chore. It's never going to be something that you get excited about. You're going to need to require willpower. And as I said, willpower, completely flimsy and unreliable. So what we need to do instead is embrace a much more imperfect version of health where we are embracing the little wins that we have um, because they really do add up to something great. And I think something I often remind myself of is that it's not worth sacrificing 95% of your life just to weigh 5% less. When it comes to nutrition, we've got to keep the joy. We've got to keep ourselves grounded that, no, you might not end up having... um, a body like a supermodel, and that's perfectly okay. Yes, you can still have you know, cellul- cellulite on your legs and you might mm. still have some rolls in your stomach. Um, it's definitely not worth jeopardizing your life, your mental health and your wellness to look like the people you see on your social media feeds. No, exactly. I, I feel, Lindy, I wish we had three hours, not under an hour, to discuss <laughs> this topic because I've thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you and I think that you've explained everything in such an easy to understand accessible way and and I'm so grateful thank you so much for coming on the podcast where can our listeners go to find out more about the incredible work that you do thanks so much for having me I I really appreciate it (laughs) Um, you can find me I'm nude underscore nutritionist on Instagram I promise you that's all about being stripped bare and back to (laughs) basics you won't find anything other than that there um, and also you can check out my website. It's lindycohen.com. Um, and I've got, I've got an app called Back to Basics. I've got a program called Keep It Real. If you struggle with binge or emotional eating, those are the things I'm really passionate about helping people with. Um, and of course, I do have my book called The Nude Nutritionist, mm. which is sold in the UK and around the world. Um, so you can grab your paws on that if you'd like to learn more. Oh, it's amazing. So many wonderful resources to turn to, to utilize. Lindy, thank you for being a fab guest on Food for Thought. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll absolutely love what's coming next week. So make sure that you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And if you have the time too, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review so that we can reach higher highs in the charts and hopefully that will help us reach more and more people. For more information about my nutrition clinic, the books, healthy recipes and so much more, please do visit retrition.com and you can follow me on social media at retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. 